We're so happy you're joining us on our Brentwood Church podcast. To find out more about Brentwood, go to brentwoodchurch.org. During this episode, Pastor John shares a great message that we pray will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up your Bible or Bible app and grab a notebook or simply listen along. I was created for more. My life wasn't made to fit in boxes. He says he has purposed me from before I was born. Yet fear and insecurity hold me back. What if I can't? But what if this is just the beginning of a greater dream inside of me, only accomplished with the help of the one who made me? What if it is he who is awakening the dream? I want to set up what I'm going to talk about today because we are ending Awaken the Dream today. And if you haven't been here for the last four weeks, I encourage you to go back and, and, and listen to the journey that we've been taking in a God Purpose Dream. Real quick, God Purpose Dream, it's a dream that is God as the hero and us as the helper. We are a part of God's bigger dream and we will play a part in his bigger dream, which is to rescue and restore the world that he so loves back to its original design and then some. And that happens through Jesus Christ and we are a part of that bigger dream. We have a dream within that dream. What else have we uh, realized? We have realized that a God purpose dream always has other people at the forefront. That it isn't about us. That it's about adding value to other people. And so if we have this dream that we're going after and it's all about, first and foremost, about me getting mine and, and it's all about me getting the spotlight and, and maybe other people are gonna benefit, but really they're gonna benefit because I'm benefiting. It, 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 that's not a God-purpose dream. A God-purpose dream is about us giving our time, energy, talent, and the rest of what God has given us over to adding value to other people. And then finally, a God-purpose dream is so big that God has to intervene it cannot be done on our talent. It cannot be done on our stick to it and our willpower. It has to be empowered. It has to be sustained by God. That's what a God purpose dream is. And we've been looking at different aspects of that. Today, I want to look at what happens when the dream starts to get fulfilled. What, what is it that we do next? I want to tell you a quick story that'll kind of help you understand what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we have some friends who kind of live out in Campbell County, a little bit in the sticks, and, and they live on a, on a road, and at the end of that road, there are three houses, and, and their family owns all of these houses, and they live at the end as a house, and they own that road. So when you pull into their, uh, into their little neighborhood or, or compound, if you want to call it that, what happens is, and I call them this, the hounds of hell start to chase you, literally. There's a pit bull and there's this kind of weird mutt looking dog and they chase you literally from the time you, you, you turn onto there all the way till you get to the houses and they chase you and they're barking and they're barking and they're barking. And, and it's crazy. It's crazy what happens. And, and you know, we've, we've talked to them about there. They're like, yeah, we've done everything we can. We've even tried to run over them. Like just, just so they would stop. Just so they would stop. And, and, and we, they, we hear stories about, yeah, yeah, the pit bull actually one time grabbed the bumper and got drug a little bit. But, you know, that's just kind of what they do. They, 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 they chase after cars. And, and come to find out, and maybe you don't know this, but, 
But when you, when you think about canines, canines, why would they keep chasing cars even though they know they're not going to really get the car? And even though they know that once the car stops, it's kind of over, like there's nothing you can do with the car. And most times you're going to get hurt and you're going to get defeated by the car. Why would a canine keep doing this? And here's why. Because a canine brain can't think past 15 minutes ago. Right now, they have instincts that govern their life, like you need to eat and you need to procreate and all of those things, okay? We know that. But a canine doesn't think about the fact that their mother abandoned them. Yeah, like when they were a little puppy, mommy took off. They, they don't think about the fact that they never really knew their dad. Yeah, dad and mom just kind of saw each other and that was it and, and you're here. Yeah. They don't think about their past. They don't think about where they came from. They don't think about mom and dad and, and, and their relationship and dad's gone and mom's gone. And I guess I'm just here. I'm just here. What? Oh, there's a car. There's a squirrel. They're, they're, they don't have the ability to self-reflect on their past. They don't have the ability to do that at all. All they can think about is what's happening right now, and I'm going after this car. They can't think about the future. They can't think about the fact that, hey, I probably shouldn't do this right now because it's going to affect my future. There, there's, someday I'm going to meet another dog, the special one, right? <laughs> they're not thinking about that. One day they just wake up and go, huh, I need to go chase another dog. That's just how canine brains think. They don't think about the past. They don't think about the future. Sometimes we, when we start to look at where our culture is right now, it's very much the canine brain, isn't it? I mean, we make decisions as a culture sometimes. We make decisions as a culture sometimes not thinking about the fact that these choices will end in results that will affect our future, we live in a culture right now that, that doesn't stop to say, hey, wait a minute, decisions that I'm making right now will affect me, my older self, and my children's children. We don't have a culture that actually pauses for a moment and says, hey, before we make this decision, this decision when it comes to our marriage, our family, our politics, our sociology, how is this going to affect our older selves. How is this going to affect our children's children? Because we need to weigh that out before we do that. Even though we are the only species on planet earth and arguably the universe that has the ability given to us by God to reflect upon our past and to hope for our future. The only species on planet earth that can actually reflect and look forward and have it affect our present moment. Man, think about that. Decisions that I'm making have compounding effect. The decisions that I make in my health, my wealth, my relationships, my occupations, and the results of all of those things are affected by decisions that I make right now. Who I will be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and 30 if I get there, are based upon decisions that I'm making in my life right now. Now, we are the only species in the world and throughout history and the universe that has the ability to make decisions in our presence that is informed by the past and is hopeful for the future. Wow. And we are made in the image of God. God 
is a long haul, long view God. And he's made us to live that way, to operate that way, to have relationships that way. And yet we live in a culture that says, quick fix, get rich quick. You know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. Live it up. Live it up because it might be gone tomorrow. When the tough times come, get out of town. Wow, that's our culture. Here's the challenge, though. The challenge with that kind of thinking is that it affects who we will be tomorrow and whether or not we will be a part of the God-purpose dream that he is dreaming for our life. Wow. Wow, think about that. Today, though, I would like for us to look in on one of many characters in the Bible who took on the mantle of what God designed in every human being, and that is to have a long view of our life, a long view of relationships, a long view of the destiny and the dream that God has for us. And what happens when we go after that? Who am I talking about? I'm talking about one of the 12 spies that we left last week in that moment. Do you remember this? Uh, we get to the, the, the edge of the promised land and, and they send the spies out, 12 spies, one from each tribe And 10 of them come back and say, there's no way we can do this. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, of course we can do this. God is with us. God has gone before us. I want to look at one of the unsung heroes of that story. Oftentimes, we hear about Joshua. Joshua got his own book of the Bible, right? I mean, there's a lot we know about Joshua. Joshua is talked about throughout the Old Testament. He is pointed to. In fact, Jesus himself, our Savior, was named after Joshua. Jesus is the Aramaic translation for the word Joshua. Wow, Joshua. Man, big deal, a lot. Caleb, on the other hand, the other spy who came back and was promised to enter into the promised land when all the other generation of Israel, 20 years or older, were said, nope, you're not going to the promised land because of your doubtful and rebellious spirit. Caleb was one of the two who was promised, you will enter. And yet we know few things about Caleb. Today, though, we get to see what little we know about Caleb, how powerful his story really is. Caleb went in that 40 days, into the land of Canaan to spy it out. While he was there, he saw a mountain region full of little cities, walled-up cities, that were named after a great conqueror of that land. While he was there, it must have been love at first sight because he says, when I come back here, when we have taken this land, that will be mine. What he did not know is this, that he would come back to a rebellious Israel that would have to wait 40 years to enter the promised land and another five years to get back to that mountain region. 45 years Caleb would have to wait to get to the moment that we're at in Joshua chapter 14. I want us to look at this picture because it's going to help us understand that God-purposed dreams are fulfilled by long-view thinkers. Let's jump in. Verse 6. Here we go. Now, the people of Judah approached Joshua of, at Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, 
the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. What is he doing? He's saying, Joshua, I want to pinpoint a moment. You remember that, that moment where God said to us through Moses that you two, as well as everyone 19 years and younger, will enter into the promised land after the current generation dies off. He says, remember that. And he goes on. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land And I brought him back a report, a report according to my convictions. A report according to what? According to my convictions. What do we know about Caleb that's going to help us understand who we need to be in fulfilling a God-purpose dream? That Caleb talked about God and thought about God according to a conviction that God was not only for Israel, but God was for him too. Not only was God good, but God was great. And it informed his thinking, his feeling, and the decisions that he made in life. Wow. He had a faith in God that propelled him forward to believe that God was good, that God was great, that God was for him. And that kind of faith is so critical in fulfilling a God-purpose dream. Write this down. Write this down. Faith qualifies and sustains the dream. Faith qualifies and sustains the dream. It was faith that qualified Caleb to go into the promised land. Faith. He believed that God is who he says he is. And you know what? When you, when you think about faith, faith is just one of those things that, that is informed by our intellect. You, you can't take reason and science out of faith. You just can't do it. It is informed by our emotions. You can't take feeling out of faith. It's informed by how we feel. God gave us feelings. and You, you have to combine those two and surround it with experiences, personal experiences. And that ultimately informs our faith. But ultimately, and this is huge, Faith is about taking a volitional leap of belief. At the end of the day, it's not going to be just an intellectual decision. It's not just going to be an emotional or an experiential decision. At some point, we have to just say, I am choosing to believe this. I'm choosing to believe this. And it was that faith that qualified Caleb to go into the promised land. It was also, though, what sustained him. It's what sustained him, and we're going to see this in just a second, through the seasons and the cycles of his faith. Remember, 45 years he would have to wait with a bunch of crazy people, right? He would have to wait 45 years to get back to that mountain where he believed God had promised and put a dream in his heart to go after he would be 85 years old. It is that faith that sustained him. The, 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 the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 11. This is huge. This is just, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. Look, you can, you can be so moral and you can be so religious and you can do all of these things. You can behave a certain way. You can go to church and you can sing the songs and you can hear sermons and you can help people all day long. But if at the end of the day, you don't decide to believe that God is who he says he is and surrender to him, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him. 
He wants you to make that choice to believe he is who he says he is. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Okay, God, I know that I am not just an accident of of molecular molecular explosions and evolution. You created me. I I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but I believe that that is, is the truth and I'll discover more as I live. And that, and that he rewards those who, and this is huge, earnestly seek him. Earnestly. What does that word earnestly mean? It means intensely and consistently. Intensely and consistently seek. What does that mean? It means to pursue. You intensely and consistently pursue God, knowing what? That he rewards you for it that he will respond to your faith in him. That you are not out there wondering what he's thinking and wondering what he's doing and wondering if he's with you. That he will, if you and I consistently and intensely pursue after God, he will respond to you and he will show you where he is responding. Wow. Now, here's the deal, and I wanna pause here. Listen. You and I can chase cars the rest of our life and God still loves you and Jesus still died for you. I won't say that. I won't say that. We have the choice to chase cars the rest of our life and go, hey, let's just do it. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about yesterday. Let's chase some cars. Here's the deal. We can do that, and God still loves us, and Jesus still died for us. And, I, and, I, and I, I will say this. Some of you are doing that right now. You're doing that in relationships. You're doing that with habits and addictions. You're doing that in your life, and you're not thinking about consistently and intensely seeking after the response of God. Here's what I'll say. This church is for you. We do not judge you. We love you and you know, you know that your marriage is in a crazy cycle and it keeps going through the same craziness over and over and over because you're chasing cars. You're chasing cars. And I'm gonna say this, you, you, you might be here today and, and you, you, an addiction has you. You know, you, you're good for a week or two or maybe a season and then all of a sudden the hunger and the craving takes over you again. Here's what I wanna say to you and you gotta get this. God still loves you and Jesus still died for you. But you will never realize fully the dream that God has for your life. You won't. Because why? Because that dream is fulfilled by people who consistently and intensely pursue after his response. Period. Period. And and, and that's huge. That's huge because, because in order for us to to go through a season after a season after a season and and enter into what it is that God has for us. We have to get past canine thinking in our faith. We have to take a long view, long haul view. Because why? Because God has created us with a mind to reflect upon our past and to hope for a future. And it informs the present moment that we're in and the decisions that we make right here and right now. Listen to Caleb. Look look what happens next. Look what happens next. This is huge. He keeps going. He says, but my fellow Israelites who went with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. Why? Because they had canine thinking. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. 
wholeheartedly. Does wholeheartedly mean perfect? Does wholeheartedly mean that he made all the right decisions all the time? Does wholeheartedly mean that he never lost faith and he never doubted? No, no. Caleb is not superhuman. Caleb Caleb is not any different than you and I. Caleb just, when you compound the decisions of his life, there were more decisions in his life that moved towards the risk and the reward of a God-purposed dream than not, than not. It doesn't mean that Caleb never chased after cars. It just means that when you weighed his heart at the end of the day, wholeheartedly, when you weighed his heart, he was a man who said, I don't have time for the shenanigans of the rest of these faint-hearted Israelites. I want to see that city again, and I want to take it. And he waited 40 five years to get back to it. I mean, you have to have thought he was just waiting on some of those people to die. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you, you can see that, that one last Israel from that generation, you know, like, yeah, I rebelled. And, and Caleb's like, push. <laughs> oh, he, I think he's dead. Let's go. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's terrible, terrible thought. Please don't email me on that, Okay. What, what do we see, though? It says that his heart was whole in that. And listen, listen, some of you know what I'm talking about because you've made those decisions in your marriage and your family. You've made those decisions in your health and your wealth and, and, your, and your occupation. You don't wake up every day and make all the right decisions, but most of the time you make God-purpose decisions because you know it's a compounding effect over your life. And sometimes when you blow up things, you go back, you know what? Man, that's just not wise. In fact, uh, recently, uh, a writer wrote a book called The Rhythms of the Soul, a guy named Mark Buchanan. And, and if, you, if, you like, uh, if you like historical books that also look at the psychology of people and that is based upon research, this is a great book because here's what he does. He says, look, he says, all of us in the Western world, that, that's you know, North America and parts of, of Europe, we think of spiritual growth and even psychological development linearly. That, that everything is like either I'm progressing or I'm regressing. It's all on this line. He says that's not how they thought in the ancient East, in the Middle East, where all of this was written and all of this was lived out. They thought of spiritual growth and maturity as cyclical, as rhythmic, as seasonal. And so in this book, he just kind of breaks that down. And he says, when you were thinking like a person like Caleb, for example, he wasn't thinking about linear. He was thinking about cycles. And seasons, and for 45 years, he went through the seasons of the soul. And what, what Buchanan he talks about, he says, look, there, there are four seasons of the soul, and you can just see them throughout Scripture, and you can even see them in human psychology. There's summer, there's fall, there's winter, and there's spring. Two of them are conditions, two of them are transitions. And he breaks them down in his book. And I want us to look at this real quick. So if you don't catch anything today, just go with me through the seasons real quick. First, there's summer. Summer of the soul is ease, energy, and delight. It's abundance. It's alive. You come into church and you're like, oh, I love this song. And oh, I love when I open up God's word, the scriptures, it just comes alive to me. I want to dance with somebody. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And, and, you, and, and you, man, even if you're in the summer right now, like you're just, you're so excited. You already like, yeah, I want to like, every teardrop is a waterfall. I, I don't even know what that means, but I like it. 
and, 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 and you guys want me to tear down? I'll tear down. I'll set up and tear down. And I'll rock some babies in between. Whatever you want me to do, I'm in the summer. And we've all been there before. Here are some common mistakes of summer, though, and that is to equate summer for maturity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes when you're feeling it, you, you think that you're growing. It just means you're feeling it. It doesn't mean that you're maturing. In fact, a lot less maturity happens in the summer. And we're going to talk about where most of it happens. The other mistake is judging people in other seasons. You know, when you're in the summer and somebody else is in a different faith, sometimes you'll be kind of a little judgmental about it. I'm like, what's wrong with them? They don't have the kind of faith that I have. Don't they see what, like, well, man, I, I, if they were me, then I would. And, and then we start judging people who are in a different season. And it's like, well, I don't know about you, but you're not going to bring me down. I don't receive your negativity. Well, hold up, summertime. Maybe she's in a different season right now, and you need to pray for her or him and not judge them. Next, we have the fall. This is a transition. The fall is mundane. It's, it's disappointment. It's, it's unexpected. All of a sudden, summer starts to fade, and the lush greens start fading into the dry yellows and oranges. And all of a sudden, things start falling onto the ground. What happens in the fall is it's a transition. It's ending things. And suddenly, we don't know what's going on. Here are some common mistakes of the fall. We presume God is mad. Or your faith is gone. What's happening to me? I was just dancing on air. And now I don't feel it anymore. The other thing is we're trying to get back to summer. Like, how do I get back there? How do I get, you know, do I need to get a new church? Do I need to get a new podcast? Do I need to get a new song? Do I need to, uh, you know, what's going on? Because I'm losing some things and I'm fading into some things. And I don't know how to deal with it. It's a transition into another season, which is winter. We've all been here. Discouragement and disinterest. The winter of the soul. Darkness. Absence. Wow. And sometimes we feel that with God, don't we? We, we feel this sense of, man, why, why do I suddenly, man, maybe you're in the winter right now and, and, and somebody had to drag you here. Somebody had to drag you here because you, you're just like, I don't want to go to church. I, I, I don't want to hear that stuff over and over. I don't, even, I don't know if I even believe that stuff anymore. Or you are here today in the winter desperate to hear something. Desperate. You're, you're, you haven't been to church in a long time. And you're so desperate, you're like, I, I, I don't have anything to lose. Maybe God will communicate. We've all been in the winter of the soul. We go through these. Here's the common mistakes of winter, and that is to mistake the discipline, or I would even say the pruning of God with the rejection of God. He is not rejecting you. He is with you. He is maturing you. Because let me say this. It is most of the time we grow in the winter and not the summer. You see, God is stretching our faith. He is making it strong. He's tearing that muscle. He is cutting some things. We talked about that last week. It's the winter of the soul that we need to remain consistent, that we need to earnestly pursue God. Why? Because we don't feel like it in that moment. The other thing is that we start believing nothing good is happening and winter will never end. When is this going to end? The winter, some of you are there right now. Let me tell you something, let me tell you something. It will 
end and spring is coming. And I love this one because that is relief. That is rejoicing. That is restoration. Listen, you can't experience any of that in the soul unless you've experienced pain and loss. You can't go on vacation if you don't go to work. I don't think some of you heard that. You can't go on vacation if you don't go to work. If, if you just live a life where, care, you know, like, I don't sweat, I don't, I, you know, I just kind of do my thing and I'm just kind of living my life and I'm jumping on trains. And you know, listen, listen, you will never experience relief and rejoicing and, and renewal and restoration if you haven't experienced pain and loss. When people come to me sometimes and they just act like their life is perfect and their marriage is perfect and their job is perfect, I just want to say, I have nothing to learn from you. There's nothing you can tell me because you are in denial or you are so safe in your life. You are so safe and you are so comfortable. You won't let God tear you. You won't let God take from you. And because you won't, you are immature and you are unsafe Thank you very much. I will pray for you, but please don't tell me anything. Mm. Mm. Spring. Rejoicing. Common mistakes of spring. Becoming careless with the new thing God is doing. I heard a Jewish rabbi once say, you cannot put new things in old wineskins. Mm. Who was that Jewish rabbi? I don't hang out with Jewish rabbis. It was Jesus, Okay. Yeah, what's he talking about? He's like, God's doing a new thing. And he's always going to be doing new things. Don't try to put them in your old mindset. He's moved on. It, like, like, okay, you know what? That, that season that you were in that church or you were in that place, you needed that then. You needed some of that structure. You needed some of that design. You needed some of that tradition. You needed some, we fill in the blank. But God's doing a new thing with you. And don't try to take what he's doing right now and fit it into that old thing. Fit it into that old thing. He's doing something new in you. And I understand that's painful. And I understand that it's creating, and and that's just the spring. The other thing is you distrust the new thing God is doing in you and become spiritually tentative. You all of a sudden start going, man, I think I do want to dance. I think I do want to rejoice. But wait a minute, what if winter comes back? It's coming back. Winter is coming back. It's a season of your soul. Jump up and dance in the spring. And you know what? Find out and learn how to do it in winter too. Spring is new. It's Some of you are there right now. I think some of you are starting spring today. I think you, you, you've been walking through the winter for the last season and you walked in here today and you're hearing a word and you're hearing a truth that is going to help you take a long view of your faith. But you know something? If we don't think about the seasons of the soul, we'll get in one of these seasons and we'll start flipping out and we'll start chasing cars. We will. We'll start flipping out and we'll start chasing cars. I don't know what to do. I, I just I don't feel God anymore. He must not be with me. He must be mad at me. Car? Yeah. Caleb. You know, he wasn't perfect. He was a man just like you and me, and yet he was wholehearted. When you pulled out his heart and you weighed it, you just saw a man who just said, look, I don't have time for the shenanigans. I don't have time for for all the chasing cars. I've got to get back to that mountain. 
I got to get back to that mountain. And, and I want to say this again. You can spend the rest of your life chasing cars and God still loves you and Jesus still died for you. But you will not get back to the mountain. You won't. You just won't. And you know what? You'll end your life and your relationships will be a mess and you won't have a lot of influence in your life. People will, people will you know, they'll be like, oh yeah, that's Greg. Greg's, he's, he's a cool guy, but he's a mess. Yeah, I, 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 don't, trust, I don't trust Jill with much. I love, I love Jill. I pray for Jill. Jill's chasing cars all the time. You're in, you won't have a lot of influence. You know what? But God still loves you. Jesus still died for you. And the church will still pray for you. And the church will still love you. And the church will still accept you. And the church will still talk to you. And the church will still hug you. And the church will still give you next steps. And the church... Dot, dot, dot. But I'm telling you something. If you don't take a long view, and you don't take the long haul you will end not fulfilling the dream that God had for you in your life. And I don't say that as a threat, and I don't say that judgmentally. Because I, I, I ha, my theology tells me you, you will still spend the rest of, 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 of eternity with God if Jesus is your Savior. Okay? But man, I, I like to think and as I read the Bible that this is just as much about the impact that I have in this life as what I inherit in eternity. Just as much. And you know what? I grew up in a time when the church, especially the American church, was all obsessed with you just, you know, get to heaven when you die. Get to heaven when you die. The hell with the world. Get to heaven when you die. Get to heaven when you die. And it's like you stop and you go, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says bring a little bit more of heaven to this earth. Pray that. Pray that every day, Jesus says. Pray, pray that, that, that we can make a little bit more of the suffering and the pain and, and the, the absence of this life. Can you imagine if we got a hold of that, how that would change Charlotte today? Can you imagine how that would change Tulsa today? If more people just thought, stop thinking about getting to heaven when they die. That's important, and we get that. But why don't we live this life now to bring more of heaven to this earth? And how that would change our world. How that would change everything. I believe that today, when we start picking this up and we start living this out, it changes everything. It changes everything. How do, how do we bring this home with, with Caleb? I, 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 wanna, I just want to just, just, where does he end up? He says, so on that day Moses swore to me, he's, 45 years ago, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. Not just your inheritance, and that of your children forever. Wow. Caleb is thinking not just about himself, not just about getting to his you know, condo in Boca when he retires, right? He's thinking about, look, man, I got to be thinking about my kids. I got to be thinking about my children's children, not just his own, but theirs and yours. Wow. Like, he's thinking that far. Can you imagine that kind of thinking in a canine thinking world? Man, he was after it. Look, look what it says next. He says, next verse, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly, your heart has been weighed. And it's not perfect because nobody but Jesus was perfect. But when you weigh the heart, you were a long view, long haul thinker and liver. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So, 
So here I am today, he says. Here I am today, 85 years old, exclamation point. 85. And I am still strong. Wow, it's before Krispy Kreme. Right? I am still strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous. Woo! That's, that's a lot in that word. I am vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Like, he's not talking about sending his sons into battle, his grandsons into battle. He's like, I'm going to tear some stuff up. We're going to go do this. Wow. Wow. I, I love what a, a, a writer of a book called The Compound Effect his name is Denny. I, I love what he says about this. He, he, this is, he's a researcher. He's a secular researcher. He says this. He says, forget about willpower. It's time for why power. Wow. Your choices are only meaningful when you connect them to your desires and dreams. The wisest and most motivating choices are the ones aligned with that which identify as your purpose. He goes on. He says this. He says, your core self and your highest values, you've got to want something and know why you want it or you'll end up giving up too easily. I'll translate, chasing cars. You'll end up chasing cars. Listen, this is a secular researcher and sociologist and he's saying the same thing that the Old Testament and the New Testament have been saying. You forget about willpower. That's, you can achieve human things on willpower. You've got to have why power. Why am I doing this for my children's children so that 45 years from now, I can be at that mountain vigorous and strong and ready for battle? Whoo! Decisions that I'm making in my health, my wealth, and my relationships determine the results and the response of who I will be 10, 20, 30 40 years from today. Wow, long view, long haul thinking. I want to say this again. You can chase cars and God will still love you and Jesus still died for you and this church will still embrace you. But you will not, you will not see the dream that God has for your life fulfilled in any powerful way. And that's not, that's, again, that's not, that's not judgment. That's not, that's not a, a threat. It's just reality. It's just reality. So how do we navigate these seasons of the souls as we move through this life, as we move to the promised land and then are ready to take on a new dream? Three things, three things. I want us to go through this real quick. Surrender, surrender. Surrender to what? Surrender to the season. Don't fight it. Don't fight winter. Just surrender to it. Look, it's absence. It's, it's darkness. And you know what? God is teaching you something in it. Surrender to it. Don't fight it. Don't try to get out of it. We talked a little bit about that last week with wastelands. It's like wastelands lead to promised lands. Just learn what God wants you to learn in it and let it take its course. God has not abandoned you. In fact, he is more with you. He's with you. Surrender to it. What else? Lean into it. What does that mean? Learn from it. Learn from it. What is God teaching me right now in the fall? What is God teaching me right now in spring? Lean into it. Like, okay, I'm not trying to get out of it. I'm not trying to get to another season. Right now, I'm trying to learn from the season that I'm in. And then finally, mark the path. What does that mean? It means 
put a plaque up, put a monument up, put some, some inscription because you know what? You're coming back around next year. You're coming back around. And if you can go to that spot and go, oh, yeah, 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 I remember this. Oh, what did, what did I write down here? Oh, okay, this is winter and it's hard and, and God is going to sustain you and, and don't, don't make decisions right now that, that, that are car-chasing decisions. There is a true and there is a better Caleb in the Bible. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards the true and the better Caleb, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who didn't, who didn't go conquer a walled city. He came as the Son of God, born of a woman just like you and me, lived as a boy and then a teenager and then a man just like you and me, went through the t- same temptations and the trials and, and, and all those things and, and went to a cross and died like you and me, but died a torturous death on a cross as the atonement of all sin, past, present, and future for all who would believe. Jesus didn't take on a walled city. He took on sin for you and me because we couldn't do it ourselves. He took on evil, evil, the evil of this world that we are so saddened by, that we are so affected by. Jesus on a cross, a true and a better Caleb defeated it and death, that which we fear the most. Jesus on that cross took on the results of sin and evil, which is death, and defeated it for you and me to be here today, no matter what season we're in. No matter what season that you are in, he is fighting with you. He is fighting with you. He is saying, don't chase the cars. My spirit will help you through this. My spirit will help you through this. He resurrected from the dead to say, you have a down payment on an eternity with my heavenly father and me forever. In the meantime, help God achieve the dream that he has for all humankind and spread the kingdom of God with your life, with your decisions through every season. Long haul, long view thinking. Wow. Surrender. Lean in. Mark the path. Thanks so much for listening today. We believe that everyone has a next step towards Jesus, and we would love to help you take yours. Email us at hello at brentwoodchurch.org or visit our website, brentwoodchurch.org slash next steps. Until next time, go change the world.